Welcome home, where homeownership matters for all. A production of the Orange Chatham Association of Realtors. A voice for real property rights. Greetings, everyone. This is Marsha Vaughn speaking to you as the host of session number two of the OCHAR 2022 Talk About. Today, I am honored to be sitting here with our podcast panel of three highly experienced and frankly, very wise real estate agents. I'll introduce them in a second, but please note that together, these top performing realtors have practiced real estate in the triangle for a combined 73 years. We're grateful they agreed to take time out of their crazy busy schedules to sit and discuss topics relevant to OCHAR's membership and also to our client base. What you're going to hear today is talk about the subject of negotiating, the prerequisites, the pitfalls, the perils. But in our current unique, very unique real estate market, we're going to talk about what negotiation really means. So let's get started. I want to welcome Nada Bozinski, who is with Inhabit. We have Jay Kreller with Tony Hall and Associates. And we have Jackie Tanner with Fonville Morrissey. And I'm Marsha Vaughn, and I'm representing Ochar, and I am a real estate agent with Alan Tate. So welcome. You guys, when we first started talking about this subject, it was a very different atmosphere than it is now. We're not really doing much negotiating because as a buyer, what did you say? We're just throwing ourselves down on the front lawn of a home and We're opening saying, our veins and saying, is there anything else I can do? <laughs> so exactly. true. But then Jay it pointed out. The, thank you, sir. May I have another of uh, negotiating? <laughs> Jay, you did point out um, in a text this morning that we might not be negotiating so much representing buyers, but we are negotiating with our clients. More so, than ever, right? Right now, the negotiation isn't with the other side of the table. The negotiation is with the people in our stable because we've got to get them to do the things they need to do to land the house. And they don't believe us yet. They don't think it's that crazy. Right. But it is. So yeah. I'm negotiating more with my own people than mm-hmm. ever before. You mean negotiating as part of the, um, what do you call it, Nada, when you have that early educating period? with Front-loading. Front-loading. I love that. I call it front-loading. Yeah. Educating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that front-loading education period, do you feel like it's taking a lot longer than it used to? Well, no, but just because they've got to learn faster. If they want to land a house in this market, everything is about the speed at which you can get into the table with an acceptable offer. They've got to learn faster. Mm -hmm. So the front loading is we've got to just be more blunt about what they need to do. Okay. I think it helps to give them examples. Yeah. You know, we all like to share, like, I can't believe there were 16 offers and we offered X amount over the list price and we offered this amount of due diligence and we still didn't get it. And when I find that when you can give people really concrete examples that seem very extreme, that, that are extreme. They are extreme. And, and they, and the you can say, the norm. that's right. And you say, yeah. and my people still did not get this, mm. that their jaw drops, but they also, they start to hear. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think sometimes you have to lose maybe even the first you like before you know they have to understand the process they have to trust you Mm -hmm. they have to go through it and ultimately all we can do is advise them and share our experience with them you know Mm -hmm. and then they get to decide how what their comfort level is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what what their pain tolerance is and what their comfort level is so i know in one of our sales meetings at allen tate we had this discussion about trying to sort of quantify okay how many months before they get it and now that's that like you say jay it's moving up much faster and then how many offers do they have to lose out on before they take that next jump or adjust their criteria so jackie what do you think i'm reminded of that ice bucket challenge you remember when we all had we dumped cold buckets of ice on us (laughs) i sort of feel like that's the look on the faces of my buyers when I first meet with them and explain what's happening in the real estate market right now is, uh, well, you just got to the real estate ice bucket show. Well, (laughs) good idea. And it, um, yeah, it's just like one of those, it's, it's not a pleasant message to have to deliver Mm -hmm. to especially first time 
home buyers or people who are new to our market um, that and and this this is this craziness is going on everywhere but I, I think my heart bleeds mostly for for the first time home buyers who've done everything right they mm-hmm. have saved their pennies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they have protected their credit rating and they're coming with what they think is an enormous amount of money to the table mm-hmm. and I basically have to say right off the bat you're going to have to put all of that up as a non-refundable deposit mm-hmm. and potentially lose it. And then we have to talk through through the potentially lose through it that part. Insanity. And that's another, that's another piece. But it truly, truly breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. I, it's, it's rewarding people who, have, who don't mind losing large amounts of money. Mm-hmm. And I think as a way to build wealth, real estate is, is one of the things that is fundamental to, to the economy in that way and so to have people who are just putting their first yeah first rung of the ladder being so discouraged it's and it just doesn't feel good to me to well, have to break that out an entire group of yes it is absolutely buyers that are just no longer they can't play mm-hmm. no more mm-hmm. and this has happened in my opinion it's just happened in the last market like it's just, it's starting like i'm seeing people last 18 months yeah i would say like there are people who are perfectly well qualified and have a really good price range. But if they don't, you know, I like Jay and Jackie have said, like if we, we educate them on the front end and say, look, if you don't have 50 or $60,000 just sitting there waiting <laughs> that you're willing to risk in non-refundable deposit, it's going to be really hard to compete. And this is across all price ranges. It's not just these high-end houses. I mean, these large amounts of due diligence, we're seeing them in the lower price range. And they're, and it feels like, to me, like there isn't even a lower price range anymore. Right. Like what used right. to be also a lower price range. There is no lower price range. I mean. But are people really willing to risk that amount? Or do they go into it thinking, they, we're not going to do inspections or we're not. I mean, who's going to walk away from $50,000? They don't don't have a choice. They have to put that money on the line to be taken seriously. If they want to get this out. If they want to get the house. If you want to get this is what you have to do to get the Mm -hmm. house. This is why we're negotiating with our own Mm -hmm. people. Because they don't don't necessarily believe us right off the bat. It's like, hey, this is what you're going to have to do. And, yeah, typically they've got to lose one. At least one. Before they come to the table and tell them they have to come to, if they're capable of doing it. But. Nate is right. It's like mm-hmm. our first-time buyers, the kids who've done everything right, they're the ones mm-hmm. who are being shut out of this market. Mm-hmm. And they can't, in the triangle, they can only look so low. So, like, if you have a buyer at 300000 and you say, well, in order to get a $300,000 house, you might have to look at two twenty-five. Mm-hmm. But how much is really... It doesn't really exist. Yeah. I mean, that, that, then you're kind of... It seems like then you're, then you're looking at townhomes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I we're all doing this every day. You know, mm-hmm. we all have these buyers and I don't know the last time I saw a house that didn't need a lot of work in any of our towns in the triangle that was in the 200,000, yeah. a detached home. Yeah. No, I yeah, mean, yeah. Somebody in my office just listed a house in Oxford mm-hmm. um, and 220 listed it at 250. Mm-hmm. 220 is what the comps would have right. put it at. 250 is yeah. what it was listed at. Multiple yeah. offers. Yeah. And what that's mm-hmm. about a 45 minute drive from mm-hmm. yes, yeah. yes, from Durham, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you start looking yeah. at where the major highways are going and what's connecting to where and who's mm-hmm. going to work where and and yes, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. an old house that needs a lot of work done to it for you know. This is what I love about real estate, truly, and that's why I'm, I'm sad about what's happening yeah, to it the is. people who've no, done everything right. Um, I feel for them. I really do. That They've done everything right. Yes. And homeownership is supposed to be that bridge that, that allows you to change your socioeconomic mm-hmm. status in life, and we've lost our first three rungs of the ladder right now. Mm-hmm. You can only get on the ladder if you can jump up to that fourth step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of putting it. No, and the people who are getting the lower price points mm-hmm. are those with parents who can, can step help. in uh-huh. and uh-huh. help. Yeah, my lower yeah. price point wins lately have been parents who bought it for cash and then the kids bought it back from them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I've had two of those this uh-huh. year. Yep. So they then go and finance it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does cash still win every time? In the no. lower price points, it matters a lot. Okay. I honestly don't think it matters over 500000 mm-hmm. because 
at the end of the day, the seller doesn't care how the money gets to the table. Mm -hmm. It's just, is it going to get to the table? Mm -hmm. So cash versus finance doesn't matter. If there's enough due diligence to make sure they're serious, mm -hmm. I tell my buyers, I, I tell my sellers, sorry, don't worry about whether it's cash or not. Because at the end of the day, who can really walk away from $65,000 in due diligence mm -hmm. fee? Somebody who's getting a loan or somebody who's paying cash? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about due diligence for a minute. And, um, Nadia, you made the point that telling your clients stories about examples and anecdotes. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, the one I like to use is that So-So uh, House in Durham a couple weeks ago got 44 offers. Mm -hmm. um, that That is a sobering reality for them to hear. So in this current environment, how... What's going on with due diligence? How do you advise people? What are you seeing? What's the meaning of it? And is it going to change? I closed on something today where we were not the highest offer, but we were the highest amount of due diligence. And it was the second offer I had written for these people. And they said that they were, you know, they regretted not having been more aggressive with the first one I, I think that was actually it was a good thing that that didn't work out and they ended up with exactly the right house but it was I, I don't know what the difference was between our offer and and the higher one I suspect it's somewhere in the five six whatever thousand dollar range but to me uh, as the listing agent said to me there were 75,000 reasons that my buyers just gave his sellers that they were going to follow through to closing and I've often told people even before all of this craziness the price is one thing. The uh, the dedication of the buyer to follow through is something else. And I, the analogy that I use is we're all getting in a boat together and we're trying to get from this side of the river to the other one. So we all need to be working together to some extent, right? Our goal, this, this should be a collaborative business. And if when you're getting in a boat with someone who's rowing <laughs> and you want to be able to tell them why you're a good bet Nada, what do you think? I think that at a certain point, the due diligence is ridiculous. <laughs> and, you know, and it's, and it's hard to talk about because... It is. I mean, clients are saying it's insane. Yeah. And as a listing agent, we've all seen fifty, seventy-five, dollars $100,000 of due diligence. And I tell my my clients, you know, as buyers that, you know, if you're not going to walk, I, I tell people, I, I would have a really hard time walking away from $10,000. I mean, $10,000 is a lot of money, right? And so if you're not going to easily walk away from $10,000 and you're planning to put down 20% anyway, mm -hmm. then why not be all in and show the seller that you're truly committed to, to getting to the finish line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in terms of where is this going and what is, you know, is it ever going to reset or whatever? I, I'm not sure. Um, but I think that it's sort of this, it becomes then a combination of all the terms, you know, it, it's a package deal, right? So under, having um, buyer's agents who are communicating well with the listing agent to find out what, what it is that really is ideal for the sellers you know, a lot of times in our market, because we're so geared around the school calendar, I'm, I feel confident that as we start to go into the spring market, moving into March, I know I have listings coming up and they need to stay in place. A few of them need to stay in place, you know, through the summer. And we're trying to gauge how early can we put it on that isn't ridiculously early that will still attract buyers. You mean your sellers need to... To live there through the summer. Okay, gotcha. And so this all kind of plays into additional things that can help a buyer if they have a lot of flexibility. So in addition to these really high due diligence fees, as we start to get into the spring market, <clears throat> having the flexibility and, and willingness to allow a seller to stay in place mm -hmm. in addition to these high due diligence mm -hmm. fees. And excuse me, but when a, a buyer's agent calls you and says, you, you have this listing and says, um, what kind of terms is your seller looking right. for? You um, have that conversation. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're pretty open with them about, well, uh, like a later closing date would be better for these people. Well, or, I think a lot of agents will put it in the agent remarks on, on mm -hmm. MLS. Like, well, these are the ideal That's terms. That's the most fair way to you do know. it. Yeah. 
so that everybody is on the same page. Everybody's getting the same information mm -hmm. about what are the ideal terms that the seller is looking for. So that that's part of the negotiating upfront. Mm -hmm. You're you're giving them that tip upfront. We mm -hmm. we've had that conversation in our office around um, having a literal document in the document section that answers every single question you could fathom somebody might ask about this property because the agent mm. remarks isn't always the most. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Oh, give some examples of that. And and then being able to and what I'm hearing from from agents who are getting like many multiples of offers on a listing, it's it's let's say it's a, a Sunday and you're out with your family and your phone's blowing up, right? Mm -hmm. If if you just put in there, please refer mm -hmm. to the document in the document section for any questions you might have. And if your question still isn't answered, please reach out to me via whether it's text, whatever your preferred method of communication is, and let's streamline that. And then the thing is, of course, that everybody gets the same information. That you're not treating one agent differently than you are another because mm -hmm. that's another mm -hmm. we we tried that just on a on a listing we just did and and i had a sheet of agent notes and uh -huh. in the agent remarks it said see the agent notes and the notes gave all the answers to all the questions we thought we're going to get 100 calls when this house goes on the uh -huh. market about these questions let's answer them up front let's get it out of the way I still got the hundred <laughs> calls. Listen, Jay, I know. Let me like, help you, Mr. Agent out there. Read the notes first because you're not doing yourself any favor you by asking me at the question that was answered in the first bullet point of the agent notes. But yeah. you might have gotten 200 calls if you hadn't put that. I think that's, that's, right. that's part of the, the point. And I, when we were discussing this, it's exactly what I said. You still have absolutely yeah. no control over whether people are actually there. Yeah, it really but did. doesn't that, when you're lo looking at 20 offers, yeah. the agent who called you and asked you questions oh, about is, what yeah. was already given to mm -hmm. them as information, mm -hmm. and we're looking for ways to differentiate between who's going to be smart about yeah, handling this transaction, right. that to me... No, okay, this might be the head. most important tip of this podcast. Experience. No, it is. The it most is. important tip is read the notes. Right. And be a professional. Pre present yourself as a helpful professional agent. That's an immediate red flag that it's you an immediate red flag. don't You're have right. experience Sorry. that you didn't do, you know, you mm -hmm. didn't mm -hmm. behave professionally because everything you need to know is there. What and about the agent signal. that after reading everything is still, maybe, maybe it's the agent or maybe it's the buyer representing a buyer who asks 125 questions is that a red flag it's not it's not a red flag to me because i think they're just trying to do their due diligence for their for their buyer mm -hmm. i don't mind a question coming to me that i didn't foresee or i didn't anticipate mm -hmm. and often i don't have the answer and often right. the answer is i don't know so your and, sellers and don't get okay. turned off to you turning to them and asking sellers don't necessarily know the sellers don't always know like you know one, the, the one i just did was an estate so I, I can't ask the seller okay it's an estate okay but I, I asked because I had a seller is, once say to me, oh, that buyer's asking too many questions. No, you are, you are absolutely right. If they're asking picky questions about an issue that the seller is mm. themselves concerned about, mm. it will be a red flag to sure. that seller. So as the buyer's agent, you have to be careful that the questions you are answering are serving your client. Asking. Right. They're yeah. serving your client, but they're not compromising your client. This might be the second most important tip of this podcast because that is a fine line. It's a walk. fine line. Well, so I, as a buyer's agent, I do want to make a connection with the listing agent. I want them to know who I am. I want them to know how much experience I have. I want them to know that I am a reasonable human being who is not going to make their lives difficult over this or lie to them or, or any other, you know, and, and I also... I trust my instinct is being able to, I guess it's called active listening, but, you know, whatever between the lines stuff there is there to be gleaned. Mm -hmm. And if it's if it's an inexperienced agent, I'm all the more <laughs> wanting to yes. make that connection because they, they're inexperienced, and I'm sorry, but if, if the, whoever the other side is has hired an inexperienced agent. It's crazy, but one of the things I look at is the Oh, license the license number. number. Absolutely. I <laughs> 
I'm like, I almost put oh, an escrow. If, if I don't know the agent, I'm looking at that license number, and I'm like, okay, they've got a couple of years' experience, or they've got almost no experience. That can be a good or a bad thing. Because let me, do you know the RAF story? No. So in World War II, the RAF lost, what, 83% of its pilots. Like 83, if you had a one in five chance of surviving as an RAF pilot. And when they analyzed it all in the end, they determined that the pilots that survived were the bad pilots. Because the good pilots who learned strategy and who learned how to fly their planes, could be their moves could be anticipated by the Luftwaffe. The young agents who didn't know how to do anything, or the young pilots who didn't know how to do anything, were flying erratically. And the Luftwaffe didn't know how to shoot them down. So it was a weird thing where the inexperience actually benefited them in their favor to live. We're having that right now with agents. We're getting young agents who don't know they're going $50,000 over another offer because it's in the stratosphere and you just base it on the percentage and you don't look at the comps. You know, so we've got some, but they're winning the bids. Oh, so listen, who's the better I, pilot? I, as a listing agent, who's the I better have pilot? Been in receipt of offers where I'm like, woo! Yeah, but, <laughs> and my client said to me, "I'm glad they weren't my agent when we went in on a multiple offer situation." And you know, and when I hear that mine wasn't the highest offer, I but we had otherwise like structured it in such a way that it spoke to the the experienced listing agent on the other side. Mm, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's where... Yeah, it spoke to the experience, I, but you can't fix the crazy. If they're throwing a number at the seller that's right. absolutely insane, that doesn't make sense in any world, the seller would be crazy not to take it. But the young buyer's but, agent or the inexperienced buyer's agent doesn't know that, oh yeah, these numbers today are based on the 20% increase we saw in last year. It's not necessarily guaranteed that we're going to go up 20% again next year, but since what you pay for a house was X amount over list price, that's the number they're going in with. It's like it it doesn't have to do with the comps or the house or the reality of the situation. It has to do with this is how they're looking at the numbers. It's like when does Zillow become true? Mm -hmm. Zillow becomes true when enough people believe it. Oh, yeah. Zillow becomes true when enough people believe it. Their numbers are way off. If we were in 2018 and Zillow was putting these numbers out there, everybody would be laughing at them. Mm-hmm. We were mm-hmm. laughing at them. Mm-hmm. Now, are they because Zillow says, closer? and there's a whole generation that thinks if Zillow that, that, says it, it must be true. I read it on the internet. It must be true. No, I, I think that's what's fascinating to me about looking at the different ways in which different generations actually are taught to analyze information that they mm-hmm. receive mm-hmm. um and I, I when i was at alan tate there was there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of education around you know here's how these people they're, they're going to look to their parents or they're going to look to their friends or here's where they get their here's where they get how they think about spending money and it's it's extremely um interesting to me Mm-hmm. To, to learn that language and figure out what's influencing somebody and how they're making decisions. And I've, I've had my, as someone who started off like printing out an actual photograph and sticking it to a piece of paper as a, <laughs> as a flyer for the house <laughs> compared to what we're dealing with today. It, it's been a, yeah, it, it's kept me on my toes, I guess, in terms of learning how to speak to people and what, what makes sense to them. But this, the whole, but this is what I, I got on the internet and I'm sitting there just taking a knee like Eminem did. <laughs> I'm, I'm, taking taking a knee. Knee. I'm taking a knee. I'm taking a knee. Oh. Okay. The whole, the whole issue about what, what is the, what is our next market going to do compared? Like, mm-hmm. you know, is it, is it necessarily going to, you know, repeat what we saw last year? And I, it really, it, it all falls into supply and demand. And it also falls into, we have now learned, we have this learned, you know, system, right? Because we have lost enough houses. You know, we want to win. We want to do our best job for our buyers, Mm -hmm. right? And are we willing as buyers agents to say, you know what, that, I mean, $270 a square foot seems like, I don't think we should be offering, you know, 20% above the list price because we're already at, you know, X, really high price per square foot, which mm-hmm. was set last market, last spring, you know, whatever. In a whatever. super heated market. But the problem is, 
who are you willing to risk that with? Who are we willing to test that with? Who are we willing? Does do, you, do do any of us think that our buyer would be pleased if we advised them that, you know, wow, we saw this huge, you know, acceleration and appreciation of, of housing prices last year. But I kind of think we could go in at just maybe $10,000 over the list price, you know? None of us are going to do that yeah. because we want our buyers to win. Right. So we are part of what is generating yeah. this accelerated yeah, yeah, yeah. industry. And I don't think anything is going to change until we have more supply. Exactly. Because I, I mean, if so, everything, yeah. if there are more houses for our buyers to choose from, mm -hmm. then, you know, would they necessarily be all going for this house if, if there were 15 houses to choose from instead of two? So, you Nada, know? based on what you said earlier, you think that our supply is going to start to increase significantly oh, I, I have through no spring idea. market? I have but no I, idea, but I, I, don't, I think until it does, we're not going to see things start to taper off in terms of... Uh, Prices. Right. I think these, but it, I want you guys, if, if if you had to bet, would you bet on it as we go into spring mark, market starting to open up in terms no. of supply? I would bet no. You would bet no. I mean, I'm going to tailor my answer to very specific locations in the sense that I think Chapel Hill schools, for instance, no, there is no land on which to build. Mm -hmm. and, and so that price point is that sale a long time ago. I do see, and in terms of looking at the statistics and the amount of land that's been bought up by builders and how long it takes for them to be able to close on something and then bring it to market, there's a couple of years. And if you look at the statistics on how much land, especially in Chatham, for instance, and if we're talking about Triangle, I do think that that is going to ease some of the pressure on the, the inventory that we have to choose mm -hmm. from. Um, okay, but the new, new construction piece. New construction but, aside, what about the natural transience of our population? But I... I haven't I, seen it. Have you? Have you seen people wanting to get out of this area? Nobody's wanted no. to come out of it. I, I have mean, not I saw had anyone... No, no, no. Anyone want to leave We are area. one of the top That's states amazing. in the union that people are moving to. We, we, we are... are I saw a map the other day. California, they're moving out of. North Carolina, right. they're moving we, to. I, you know... Yeah, is, it it's, it's, is that National Movie Company? Was it the blue and the gold? Uh, well, yes. Yeah, yeah you yeah, saw yeah, the same thing. That's just amazing, though, that you guys aren't seeing anybody wanting to move away from here or having to move away from here for jobs. Occasionally for jobs. Occasionally, but I would say Rarely. the bulk of But why people. would anybody want to move away right. from here? No, it is. No, it's a great <laughs> no, I, no, it's a I'm great serious. I have said I this. That. We are no, 20 I, minutes I from the airport. We're hours from the beach. We're hours from the mountains. We can get to New York and Florida and places in a hop, skip, and a jump. Mm -hmm. The humidity I could deal without. <laughs> But I got used to that, you know, and the affordability and the cosmopolitan nature of what I can walk down Franklin Street or, or pretty much anywhere in the Triangle and hear people talking different languages, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. is important. Mm -hmm. I, I want my, ch I wanted my children to grow up in this kind of area. I mean, I'm like this. This mm -hmm. is, and I every time I give somebody a tour, these are exactly the, the points that I'm at, the the, the mm -hmm. you know. And now my clients' parents are all coming here because yeah. the hospitals. Yeah. And the education yeah. for their grandchildren. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's the whole freaking package. Our traffic in, traffic out is so out of whack. We have more people coming in than we have going out. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot remember, except for the occasional move to assisted living mm -hmm. or job transfer. Mm -hmm. Or new construction. Perhaps building. That's it. I haven't had anybody building, but... That would be the other scenario. Like, I, but, I mean, that's, land part, of, that's part of like why yeah. things are jammed up, I think. Because yeah, the pickings how many are times I'm sure we have all heard people say, well, I'd love to take advantage of this market. We'd be well, open I'd, to moving. I can't. You said it yourself. There's no more for me to move. Where am I going to move? Yeah. Where, would I, where am I going to go? Yeah. Well, so I, everybody is frozen. And I think what I started to, to say was, I think the only benefit of us seeing, you know, the talk of the interest rates starting to um, tick up mm -hmm. is that there may be a little more impetus for sellers who think I don't want to miss an opportunity to capture mm -hmm. this market. And with interest rates going up, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried we might miss this, you know, great market. And so we're going to go ahead and put our house on the market, even if it means we have to go into temporary housing just so we can max, you know, maximize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one hope that I have is that, you know, with it, 
with a little bit of a hike in interest rates that maybe it'll start loosening things up a little bit in the for sellers who are are worried maybe that they don't want to miss out. I don't know if you're saying that. I've got got a buyer right now that I'm working with who is going to sell a house also in the area. You you want something very specific. You haven't been able to find it. But he just called me and said, look, I'm going to, I am going to move out. I'm capitalizing on this right now because interest rates are going up. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and sell my house here. And then I'm going to get a short term rental and then we'll find something. So it's, it's starting to happen. Yeah. In a very high price point, mm-hmm. it's starting to happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to see that. Okay, so my theory, and it was my theory, or has been, I think you guys might disagree with it then. I have had this sense that in order for a real estate market to cycle normally, you've got to have the older generation selling the homes that they raise their families in. There's some of that. There's some of that. Okay. But we're an academic area, so it's also... The fluidity of professors and things like that and, and doctors who are finishing their residency and going somewhere else. So we've had a lot of movement that's outside of that market, too. Okay. So it was my sense that when COVID hit, the older generations that were about to sell those homes, that which would start sure. the trickle-down effect, um, stayed in place. And I was hoping this spring with, you know, triple boosting and a lot of PPK people getting Omicron and being super boosted, that older people then would say, you know what, we're comfortable now with people coming in our house. I think we saw a lot of that in the fall of last year. And I think that's one of the reasons why the fourth quarter was so busy. Mm-hmm. Because I think we saw some people who were comfortable now going into CCR and assisted living communities, mm-hmm. putting their houses on the market, and we had a strong fourth quarter. But I don't think that's as big a segment as we think. Okay, Interesting. Maybe it is in other communities that are older than the Triangle. It's definitely like if you're looking at like the Farrington market. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's because I do an interesting one to watch. I, I, sure. I do a lot in Farrington. I love analyzing the Farrington market. It's it's just mm-hmm. fun because yeah. it's it bucks every trend of everything else. Okay, it talk, talk, talk a little bit about this. And for our younger or newer agents, explain Farrington, how it's different. Farrington is a pocket community south of Chapel Hill that has long had the reputation of being a retirement community, even though it is not technically a 55-plus mm-hmm. community. It kind of feels like. And it was built in different phases, and it has different elements to it. And But if you go there, the median age is roughly 63, I think, at the last demographic study. So it's definitely an old demographic, and it's in close. the county schools. We're getting dangerously close, aren't we? Okay, Um, you young puppies, just keep quiet. Anyway, anyway, so that's that's Fearington. And the Fearington market has always bucked the trends of the Chapel Hill market, even though it's Chapel Hill adjacent. Uh So Chapel Hill is a spring-driven market. We've always been a spring-summer market. You can pretty much close up shop in September if all you do is Chapel Hill. But Fearington picks up in the fall. And I've always explained that. It's like, you know, you, you've got parents coming in to visit mm-hmm. the kids. They're coming in for Thanksgiving. They're coming in for Christmas. They're seeing this area. They want to be here. So Farrington has always had a year-round market. They could always sell in off-market times. Um, and, and so it's different. It's a subset of the market that's just a little different than the general market. And they sell outside of MLS or a lot of it. Often, no, 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 less, less a fraction so than they used to. A fraction to. sells yes. outside of MLS. A fraction of their market sells outside of MLS. It used to because there was so much new construction with Fitch. Uh, I see. But I, I'm finding that it, on their own on their own site. Okay. Or you know within their. But I'm finding if I have a buyer who wants to look in Farrington, that if I contact the, what are they called? Fitch. 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 That they usually have something to talk about. Well, something, not right now. I mean, Fitch has almost no inventory either. They're in the same boat we are. They've sold nine houses since the beginning of the year, and they think, oh, that's great. It's like, okay, well, that's nine houses in two months. That's not. But, again, it's all in how you frame it, right? It's Uh how you frame it and how you present it, and that's the Mm -hmm. market. That's the message they're putting out to their market. But MLS exposure has demonstrated over and over again that, yeah, you get a higher price if you actually list on the open market. But that's a whole different discussion for another day. The key is it is antithetical to our market. Our market is school year driven. It's university driven. It's, mm-hmm. this is what we are. It's something completely different. Okay. And it's a year round market. 
And you can put something on the market in November in Farrington and have just as good a chance of selling it as you do putting it on the market in March. Interesting. Are you seeing the kind of multiple offers that you do? Oh, yes. In our yeah. Price? No, it's just it's I'm, just as insane as everything else right okay. now. Hasn't but, always been, but it certainly has been in the last, I would say, eight months. I'm going to pick up on something you said in terms of, like, and to get back to the negotiating piece of this discussion, is if you're working with a seller, is the, the negotiating piece done before you get to the market, right? Are you, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing both of your opinions on this. Um, I, it, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Jackie. That's my voice. But here's the thing. I'm sorry. So I when, Jackie. when is the negotiating happening and how is it happening? Because I was used to it happening, you know, when I first, if I fill out a feedback form on on a listing, I've shown the listing, I get a feedback form. Right on there. If my client is interested in that house, my negotiating with that other agent begins Absolutely. In, in the minute I make contact with them in any oh, way. Oh, the what, good old days. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> so the, the shifting of it being in the relationship, like up front with sellers, it's sort of like let's, we're going to let people know what we want, we're going to net. We're essentially negotiating our position mm-hmm. and just we're in the position of being able to say this is what the hell we want and this is what we want, you better <laughs> deliver. For buyers in a really, really no power position, how I'd love to hear what your thoughts are of how you negotiate how is there a neg- negotiating for a buyer who has no power? Is there having done a, a mediation course and learning about you know, leverage and, and how Are you, you go about, about after you're already under contract? Well, no, not at all. Like you've got a buyer in this market, okay. right? And you know very well based on your experience that they're going to be anywhere from five to 15 offers on this property. How do you... You mean the seller? No, if you're representing the buyer. Representing the buyer. Okay. You're representing right. the buyer. Yeah. How do you position your buyer in such a way, given the fact that they have no power, that you're going to be the winning bid, absent price and due diligence money. Is there anything else that goes that's, in? That's the gazillion dollar into that. It's the gazillion because I I feel like that that goes back to where we first started this conversation mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of sure. the relationship that we have with our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like I often tell my clients we're about to get married. Mm-hmm. In a in a real estate. Now we won't be married. We won't be married forever, but we're We're, gonna have to get to know each other really, really well. And the (laughs) trust piece. Up to now we've just been dating, but now we're gonna get married. Now we're gonna get married. And so yeah, I'd just be interested to hear like when you go into a situation like that and you know you have no power. Okay, let's let's say you find an oil tank, right? You've got fifty thousand dollars on the line in non-refundable deposit, and nobody knew there was an oil tank, but you find there's an oil tank. Now, what do you do? At the end of the day, with the oil tank, it's a title issue. So that's, that's is I, that really the answer to that question? Well, like, is that know. a definitive legal answer? We don't know. But it just is a note on the title. My job to tell the buyer is, what happens if they find contaminated soil is there's a notation on your deed that there's contaminated soil. There's no obligation that comes with it. It's just a disclosure. So let me throw this one at you. Crack septic tank. That's functional. That's different. Okay, so what how do we how do we like you've got fifty thousand dollars on the line, you have no power, and there's uh, a I've cracked, got the magic words. A cracked, I've got the magic words. What what are they? Here's the deal. You can spend twelve thousand dollars and get the house, or you can lose fifty thousand dollars. Right. And not get the house. Which bet do you want to take? Right. Do you ever go to the seller though? And if if I have a relationship, yeah, say, look, 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 hey, hey, look, here's here's the deal. You can always ask. Never, never ask. To ask. You always ask. That's what I was. The say. answer can only be no. And if the right. answer is no, you're right back where you started. Right. You have nothing you to lose. Nada and I have been in that situation. We Nada, we, we, we I had, always ask. We had difficult clients on both sides, and Nada's like, I'm going to ask. And we're like, we can do this. We can do this. We will work it out. You're going to get there. You're talking about situations where due diligence actually happens. Inspections actually happen. It still happens. No. It I, always it, happens. Yeah, it happens. 
Once you put even even if you're if, if you're, you're saying you wait due diligence, even if you have an inspection, you can still. I mean, because really, that the, the due diligence money and what used to be, you know, earnest money deposit, that was the the balance for the contract to to to, to level things off in terms of risk between the buyer and the seller. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the only piece that the seller has. The buyer could walk away the day of the closing at the closing table. They could decide they're oh, I just get this house, and they've already moved all their stuff. The moving companies come. They've moved all their stuff out. They move. You know, the only recourse a seller has are these funds, right? So whether or not you decide to have an inspection, even if you tell the listing agent that you're going to waive due diligence, you still have the right. And I always encourage my buyers to get an inspection. You want to know what you're buying. I just tell them on the front end before we ever make an offer that you're going to have virtually no um, leverage yeah, no because leverage. you're giving away, you're, you're putting so much money down mm-hmm. that the, the problems that may arise in an inspection are going to have to be so much greater than, like Jay is saying, mm-hmm. than the actual money you have at risk mm-hmm. that it, it you don't have any leverage with the sellers. But I also tell them that I have no problem asking, even if, you know, unless I have clearly said, and, and, and I had this situation actually very recently where I actually stated as part of the offer that the, the buyer understands the home is being sold as is the buyer set, the buyer has indicated they will ask for no repairs, no financial concessions whatsoever. You know, uh-huh. they can still ask for it. Okay. But if I'm putting that mm-hmm. as part of the offer because I've had this discussion with my buyers, uh-huh. I'd be very hesitant at that point to go to a listing agent when I've flat out put it in the offer that they are not going to ask for any financial concessions. They're not going to ask for any repairs. Mm-hmm. And then I go to Jay, who's the listing agent, and say, you know, I know we said we weren't going to ask for anything because this happens to all of us. But what about if you discover something that hasn't been discovered? Well, that's, that, that's, that's always what it is. It's it nothing, is. never anything obvious. It's it always so, something we didn't So then address. don't you want to just hope that they'll do the right thing? Well, they're, they're, I think that, that yes, I yes. do. But that's, I think each, you know, each transaction is unique. Each situation is unique. And I think what I'm referring to is more, uh, I've had situations as a listing agent where, um, Okay, actually, I've had a situation where I was representing a buyer, and the sellers represented that the siding was uh, fiber cement, party plank type of siding, when in fact it was OSB, which is a very different siding. They look very similar. Neither of them look like a masonite or hardboard siding, but it was misrepresented, Mm -hmm. and, and the seller was using the information from a previous listing and it can get really complicated. Mm-hmm. So at that point, does it really serve anybody, the buyer's agent or the listing agent in pointing fingers at anybody, mm-hmm. or do we just need to try and resolve the situation? Because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, we have a buyer who wants to buy a seller who wants mm-hmm. to sell and we have mm-hmm. to figure out how are we going to get to the place where everybody can feel good about this transaction getting to the closing table mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and figuring out a reasonable solution. Cause I mean, I really think that's the biggest piece that I feel has, has is, is now sort of missing mm-hmm. and that I would encourage mm-hmm. new agents who are listening is that we kind of have to bring ourselves back to a place of reasonableness uh-huh. and, right. and encourage our buyers and our sellers to say, you know, like it's, as long as everybody is behaving reasonably mm-hmm. and we all have the same goal in mind, we'll just, it's just a matter of communication and a mm-hmm. matter of asking. And but all we can say is that's, that's the, the complexity is, is define reasonable though, being married to a lawyer. Like when you have a word like that and it doesn't actually come with any, right. any What's the hard and reasonable. No hard coding is reasonable. reasonable. What is it's gray? like, you know, most people, one person as it is to another person. most people, and I'm using air quotes here, would understand what reasonable is. But uh, part of one of the challenges that I'm finding in this market with a lot of the newer agents who make it, it seems to me there are, there are lots of people who feel like if they, if they put themselves in opposition and are aggressive, mm. that they are doing something for their client. And the whole 
the whole piece about the collaborative nature of this business, as I was referring to, like getting into a boat and going yeah. in that same boat to yeah. the other side of the river, yeah. is lost. Yes. It's, to me, it's like, you know, okay, we offered you $150,000 over your asking price. Right. And the septic tank is crap. Right. right. I recognize that we are not in any position right. to be able that's, to do anything about this. Example. I am not going to make any bones about right. this. What I would like to do is to ask you nicely and respectfully Correct. if you would consider doing making this one concession. Right. XYZ. Right. And you know what? Like, I can't force people to do right. it. Yeah. But the amount of times that people actually do do the right thing, I have to say, is heartwarming. The it's, amount of times that they don't is disappointing when mm -hmm. they do. Mm -hmm. But so to, to back to the negotiation piece, like negotiation doesn't, I think most people when they hear that word, envision something where we're standing in opposition power and it's a duel against we've got, each other. we're all suited up right. in armor and we have right. a sword. Right. I think we need to, to reframe that and not have negotiation mean this this oppositional thing. You can negotiate and be collaborative. Correct. Okay. Guys, one last question. And, and I love that word reasonable. That is going to stay with me, and I'm sure it will stay with our listeners too. What do you do when you're dealing with somebody who, uh, an agent on the other side, who's uh, nasty? Well, when they we're, end up we're, saying we're yes to man names, to me. Right? <laughs> We all could, unfortunately, and and like Jackie said, most of the time uh, they are, I, I mean, they're very much in the minority, but what do you do with that? I know when I was first an agent, um, I, I I had trouble uh, not getting angry Yeah. in response. I am grateful for my, my years in the business and a sense of uh, security in the knowledge that I have a... I don't know, position in the real estate market in which I'm in that I have some weight behind. And I hope my reputation is that I am... The agents who don't like to work with me, I would almost take as a badge of honor that they gotcha. don't like gotcha. to work and with J me. And Jay I hope I'm not saying anything. Jay is Jay's giving the victory symbol. Yeah, I, because I agree. The, the, you know, if, if the, agents who, the agents who don't want to work with me, it's, it is almost as though... I am really doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> because these agents don't want to work with me. That's actually a very good thing. I think if we were to share our wealth of experience and knowledge, like the one what we're what we're what we're working around and talking about this, you know, is it really boils down to reputation and we want to be in this. We've been in this for a long time. We want to stay in it for a long time and for newer agents. And we're talking about, I think they're, they're genuinely thinking that they're doing the best thing for their client by zealously, you know, advocating for their client. And mm -hmm. sometimes it becomes more about them mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. showing their client how much they're fighting for them yes. instead yes. of really yes. focusing on what and it no. is that is at the heart <laughs> they're, of they're what, focused, why they're there. They're focusing on the win rather than, they're focusing on their image rather yeah. than the win. That's the key. Mm -hmm. They're focusing their own image rather than the win. And, and if I could say anything, I think what we're all sort of saying is in the same thing is, and it will help all of us, the more we as a real estate realtor community here can have that same goal in mind of reasonable behavior and understanding, you know, that we are, we're all, we are truly in it together. We have to have each other. We as buyers agents, we all work as buyer agents and sellers agents, buyers agents and sellers agents. We know what it's like to be on both sides. And mm -hmm. I think that that is the most critical thing for newer agents to understand how important it is to be able to have good relationships. Oh because you, if you're going to be in this for the long time. Believe me, if you're in this for the long haul. Yeah. That, that person you were in a power position on before and kind of screwed over, pardon my French, mm -hmm. that person's going to be in the power position on you That's at right. some point mm -hmm. down the road. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, to be honest, this is, I feel like it is the greatest thing that we have for both our buyer clients and our seller clients is to say, you know, for Jackie to be able to say, I have an outstanding reputation here. 
mm-hmm. because that means something to her buyers and her sellers. Right. And she right. can tell them that, you know, I really have a great network. I'm very well respected. And people know that when I, you know, when I come into a transaction, I'm going to be fair and I'm, I'm, and I, and I'm working towards, you know, the, the closing table and all these things. And I think that is critical. Uh, that's a selling point. And if that's, I think that's something that new agents should know. No, I and too. I think that's why the three of us yeah. are sitting yeah. around this table right I had a now. Is that's something we have in common. Yeah. A situation recently, buyer yes. may come in, not a buy trip, just an exploratory trip, found something they wanted to buy, didn't have a pre-approval. Mm-hmm. Credit's locked up because of, you know, this is all Saturday to Sunday. Right. So they've locked up their credit because of the Experian thing, you know, we don't have a pre-approval. Call the agent. Explain. And it's you. Right. Explain. That's right. Ah, yes. we, look, here's the situation. I'm not worried about these guys. Right. But I may not be able to get a pre-approval to you that means so prior much. to the deadline. Mm-hmm. Right. Agent literally said, no problem. Right. They trust you. Because, because it's you. Because it was me. It's yeah. my reputation right. it's on you. the line. But if not it was, then I'll just put yeah. the X on whatever internet, yeah. internet, real estate, whatever has mm-hmm. just come into play. Not necessarily so. That's great. That's a great point. Are we? Jackie, Jay, Nada, thank you so much. And watching the three of you together, the the many, many years that you've been in the field and interacted with each other, um, it, the, the mutual respect here is impressive sure. and, um, and heartwarming mm-hmm. as a, as an agent to see, um, you have given a huge gift today to new agents who have learned a ton by listening. Um, I'm not exactly a new agent, but I'm not a seasoned agent like the three of you, and I have learned a, a great deal, all of great value. So thank you for your time. We look forward to the next one and hearing from you more on whatever that subject is going to be. I think that we're kind of tailoring them um, as we go along through this market. But next time we get together, we will be in the spring market. So that'll be an interesting discussion. Yeah. (laughs) So cheers to you and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been an episode of Welcome Home, a production of the Orange Chatham Association of Realtors. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.